I always feel like we're caught in the middle of something. I know, right? Um, it's, I don't know, this throwing, I think it's how, how this program throws us into, from the green room into the studio. It's just like, boom. So, which is kind of cool, right? It's like mm -hmm. all of a sudden, ba -ba hey, we're live. <laughs> oh, by the way, welcome to this week's episode of your Kick-Ass Career Weekly Wrap-Up. We are glad you are joining us here live, or if you're joining us uh, on the replay, we're glad you're joining us on the replay. Louise, how are you doing this week? I'm pretty good. You used to say joining us on Memorex. And I, I know. <laughs> it feels like a cassette or a Betamax. <gasps> Betamax. Man, the, my friends who had Betamax I thought were so cool because we didn't get anything like that until like we, we got a full-on VCR player. Um, and we got the VCR player, I think when people were getting like Blu-ray. <laughs> right. I know. Right. Um, if you know what a cassette is or a Betamax, um, just say hi in the comments or send us some love. We'd love um, to know we're not alone. <laughs> some, some demographic research we're doing today. Absolutely. Um, for the Gen yeah. X population. <laughs> Uh, I'm doing fantastic today. Here we are on Friday already. With summer um, hours. With our summer hours. And as you can see by my hair, it's pretty summery here today. A uh, little right? humid in the peg. Um, and looking forward to some Florida weather coming my way. Um, so well, you're going out of town this weekend. No, I'm sticking around this weekend. Oh, this weekend. Okay. Right. I'm so confused by things. That's okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, I, I'm going to dive in and talk a little bit about our wrap up because I wanted to reflect on my week and I had another full week of training where my head was just a sponge that wouldn't stop sponging. It wouldn't stop absorbing. So in. <laughs> and, um, I am just really happy I made it to the end of the week um, without, I hope, too much information leaking out of my ears. But it was a really, um, it was a really great week and yet really exhausting um, because of all the consuming. Um, I think that I, on Monday, I didn't really recognize how much consuming I would be doing. And so um, for me, it's that consumer create space, right? And if um, I'm not having enough creation time, which happened this week, does feel a little restrictive, I think, like um, less less spacious. Um, so that's kind of my reflection. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I did all of that consuming. Um, it was fantastic training that I participated in. Um, yet I also kind of recognize that, you know, next time maybe finding some space to actually be creative um, mm -hmm. in in all of that consumption. I love that reflection is for you to understand that um, when you are in a time of consumption, which we that's we let us not go to a time of consumption <laughs> as in what happened. I don't even know what time that was but that was a long long time ago although we kind of went through our own recently um when you are going through these times of large amounts of consuming um yeah. to set up for yourself 
some intentional creation time um, so that your brain can not just be that sponge and accept it all in, but also to release it is what yeah. I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So that was kind of my reflection on this week. How about you, Kim? How was your week? Um, how was my week? My week was okay. Um, I was flying solo, uh, this week, which means that my, uh, my husband was in Paris. I had to think about where he was. My husband is in Paris this week. Well, uh, we were here in Montreal and, um, it was, it's always a challenging week and it's not, it, it's just different when he travels. Um, it's, we have a great kid. And yet when he's gone, it is, I, I, I don't know. It's just the pressure of the world with, you don't get to share that partnership with somebody else that maybe. Um, so I knew going into the week that there was going to be a lot of grace and courtesy, a lot of gentleness with myself. Um, to that end, I'm really excited because uh, I was able to, at the end of last week, uh, I launched a beta program that that I'm really excited about. And then this week, there was something that I've been wanting to do, and I finally pulled the trigger to do it. And, um, and it's another new offering. So it's a little strange to do two new uh, offerings back to back, but um, they're very different um, and they fit very specific needs. So I'm just really glad that, that I've been in the, at the opposite end of the spectrum, doing a lot of creating yeah. and birthing into the world. And some of that comes from, I had made the conscious decision to shut down a recurring masterclass that I do. Uh, I was usually running it once every three weeks. So sometimes there would be even two in a month. Um, and I decided that I was going to run one in June, one in July, and then be done with my masterclass until 2023. If, you know, assuming I decided to bring it back, which I think I will. Um, because I wanted to focus on these other offerings. And it was amazing because when I should make that choice to shut it down, all of a sudden there was space for me to, to create these new things that had been bubbling up for some time. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's interesting to think about us the opposite ends of the spectrum, yeah. lots of creativity. And it's, just before we got on, I was saying, man, I'm feeling really tired today. And I have to wrap my head around the fact that it is summer hours. So like I can go do whatever I want in the afternoon yeah. and it's not as late in the day as it has been when we're normally getting on these conversations. Yeah. So still a lot of day left. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing where, uh, where you were this week. Uh, we always encourage our listeners, whether again, whether you're live or Memorex, um, to, uh, drop in the comments, how your week went. We think it's a really important thing to, um, create some time and some space for reflection each week. And we like to bring our reflections in the week here, um, as a way of modeling that behavior for you. Um, and also to share, uh, with you and with each other where we are and how we're growing, um, and evolving, uh, through that wrap up. Um, so we are diving into an important conversation this week, aren't we? What are we talking about? Um, the F word. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. It just got spicy in here. <laughs> oh, failure. That's right. Yes. That F -word. What were you thinking? Oh. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about this, uh, this idea of failure, this word fail. Um, and, um, you and I had, we, we talk about this often, um, cause we have very different, uh, relationship with that word. Um, I think, uh, from how we approach 
life, how we approach problems, how we, um, what was the, the baggage we brought uh, with us on this journey, all of those things all kind of fold into this, um, this word failure and how we feel about it and um, what we can do about it. So it's not holding us back. I'd love to know if people are joining in and can, and can drop in the comments, what are your thoughts on failure? Like the word fail, is there a thought or feeling or emotion that comes up when you hear about, or when you hear the word fail or failure? Um, because I know for a lot of people, there's, there's a somatic, there's a physiological thing that happens when they th start thinking about failure. Um, I used to get really nauseous, like physically nauseous when I would think about, oh my God, I'm going to fail. Oh my God, I just did fail. Oh, right. It was like, it was, it, it made me nauseous. Um, and now it's interesting because I realized that that nausea of failure still exists for me. And yet it's more of that nausea that I feel when I get on a really good ride. <laughs> it's more of that anticipation of what's going to open up for us, what's going to open up for me now that I've failed. So it's a, it's a really interesting place to be in. <laughs> Uh, the words that came to my mind when you said that, what comes to mind? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, I'll pass. I think, I think you're probably in the majority. Although I see Malik agrees with me. She, she embraces failure right alongside me. So, um, can I share a quote with you and the group as we get started? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to look over here because it's on my screen. Um, so it's by Elizabeth Day from um, her book, uh, How to Fail, Everything I've Learned from Things Going Wrong. Um, Elizabeth Day has a podcast of the same name, How to Fail, um, where she interviews people who have had failures in their life and what that uh, what has been produced out of that failure. Um, so uh, if you can remove your ego from a process, then there really isn't any difference between success and failure. There's just both parts of a process and that you shouldn't look at failure as something terrible. It just is what it is. And you shouldn't look at success as something great. It just is what it is. Shoulds aside. We don't should on anybody here. We don't should on anybody. We don't, I don't love the shoulds in that, in that quote. However, I'm curious, what do you think of that um, bundling of the idea of, of failure and success, Louise? Well, you know, I think it's like, and this isn't my first go round at failure and how I feel about failure. Um, it, it's, I think it's like, that's great in theory. Um, it, how do we put that into practice? Right? Like, sure, sure. I understand there are a million stories out there, right? We, we don't succeed without failure. Like, pick, right? Um, Edison or uh, Walt Disney or like you name some of the, Starbucks the guy. yeah, right. The, some of the, some of the greatest things came from failure, like post-it notes are a failure. Like white out. Oh, since we're going in the way back Betamax machine, white out. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so I can see that there's evidence out there that other, but this is the thing it's othered for me anyways, mm. is that other people do that. Other people do great things. Other people find success and failure. I'm not really, um, or for a long time. And I think maybe still am. I consider myself a recovering perfectionist because my first tendencies, when you say words like that are like, no, thank you. Like I'm going to do it perfectly out of the gate or I'm not going to do it at all. And I can get very stifling and it takes a lot of work for me to get mentally around that, um, that fear of failure, I guess. It's so interesting. So we've, this is the second show that we've done together, right? We did the best parts podcast with, with three other lovely humans. Um, and when we went into that production and when we went into this production, did you have in the, in your mind, this must succeed? Yeah, I think to a certain extent, yes. And so for me, it's defining what success looks like. So I get to be in control of what that looks like. I get to set the, um, those parameters around that. And so this is how my recovering perfectionist brain can get through some of these tricky things is, is deciding what, what parameters or what measurements of success are. And so in that instance, um, it was that we all remained friends uh, after we were done a success check. Right. And that we got through a certain amount of episodes right? That we were able to at least commit to uh, several seasons of that podcast and that we all, and, and that I showed up with integrity, um, right? And so for me, those were six. You don't think the rest of us did? Well, I can't see that's what, that's what you all had a measurement of success. That's Got it. Okay. Those were my measurements of success. Yeah, the rest of you guys suck. Um, we didn't show up with integrity, apparently. Um, not what I'm saying at all. But it's right. So I got to define what success looked like. Um, now, if I had different parameters of success, um, it would have looked differently, right? Um, it could have been a failure. Absolutely. And so that's, it's interesting because Sue, if you are defining your parameters for success up ahead of time and you don't want to ever fail, right? Recovering perfectionist or not, you still don't want to fail. You're still at that no thank you. Where do you take risks? Where do I take risks? Tell me more. So if you don't take risks, you're not likely to fail. If you do take risks, there will be failures. Yeah, but it, so as a perfectionist, it's my job to minimize the risks, right? We're, we can get stuck on a hamster wheel. Like we can go around and around to say like, right. I understand fundamentally that we fail fast forward, right? Like, like the, the quicker you can get into the, the meat and potatoes of it all. And the quicker you can do something, the quicker you learn, the more data you get. Sure. I coach it all the time. Um, I'm just telling you at the core of my being, there is this tiny little perfectionist that gets a really loud megaphone sometimes 
um, and says, be careful, you don't fail. Watch out. Tell me a little bit about you, Kim. What what are those words that come to mind when you ask the when you ask the question? What's the feeling that comes up? Um, you said there was nausea, but it was like a roller coaster. Uh, let's let's hit the slopes, kind of nausea. Yeah. So it used to be hundred percent fear, nausea from fear, right? It was I'm going to get in trouble. Um, I've screwed this up now. Oh my god, I'm never going to recover, right? It it was all of those things. Um, I've, I have worked to get to the place where for me, I do want to fail faster because I learn from each failure. And so when I know, when I can see or taste or feel failure coming, that's that roller coaster feeling of like, okay, great. Pay attention. What, what's, why is this happening? Right. I'll do the reflection on the back end, but it's really getting hyper aware to why is the failure happening? And then upon reflection, going back and saying, what is it that I want to do differently? Do I want to try this again? How do I want to regroup? There may be a little bit of licking my wounds because of course it doesn't feel good to fail. And yet to me, that's where the exciting thing goes because I know I'm hitting a growth space. There has not been a single time where I have not failed. And I've failed miserably in my life. I have had plenty of colossal failures. And each time I have, big or little, I've always grown. I've always learned something more about myself or I've learned something more about the world. Right. And so I would rather have those experiences. I'd rather take take risks so that I can go to those places of learning and growth. For me, I I'm not... I can get stuck in that place of overanalyzing and overpreparing, and then I'm miserable. Right. So when I when I hear you um, talking about creating, um, you know, setting those boundaries for success for yourself, to me that's almost trying to create um, scaffold like a, sl- a, a a gentler slope down if you're gonna fail. Right. I get stuck in that scaffolding and then I don't take the risk. Mm. So while I totally respect it, I have learned that doesn't, that doesn't give me permission to fail. Right. That gives me permission to stay safe in a way that doesn't feel like growth to me. I know you and I were talking um, before um, when we were thinking about the topic for today um, just around kind of some of the work environments that we had that would be really supportive or less supportive. Of the, I don't want to, we'll just leave it at that. Um, and of, around this idea of failure and, and growth and opportunity from failure. Tell me a little bit about your experience um, at the school and, and how that's really kind of fed your, um, I don't know, fueled your engine, fed your fire. Uh, 100% yeah. both. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because before I went to work for the school, um, I worked for Montessori school for um, nine years. Uh, I was on the administrative staff uh, as the chief advancement officer. So um, fundraising, volunteer development, um, constituent relations, that kind of stuff. Um, 
being in the environment of a Montessori school was really impactful for me. For me to do my job well, I had to um, bring the Montessori environment into my soul, into my body so that I could speak about it um, in, in a really meaningful way. Um, prior to that, um, I was at a relatively toxic uh, international nonprofit. Prior to that, I was a practicing attorney. Just going to say toxic. Um, so definitely not places that it was okay and safe to make mistakes. It was not safe to fail. Being in the Montessori environment um, allowed me to not only see the encouragement of the children to, to learn through failing, right? Through learn by experimenting, by, by trying new things. The staff was also encouraged to do that. So I got to be in an environment where it was encouraged to make mistakes. And it was uncomfortable. It was super uncomfortable at first to be like, owning mistakes. And yet each mistake I would make felt like it created this new opportunity for me to be better at what it was that I was doing and to be a better person. At that time, I also, my, my daughter was little. And so seeing her learning how to fail in the classroom, seeing 400 kids that were in the school learning how to fail in the classroom, seeing, you know, colleagues of mine fail and make mistakes started to make me feel like, oh, I can do this. I'm not going to break. And even more importantly to me, I'm not going to break anyone else. Right. That is a huge fear of mine is, oh my gosh, I'm going to break somebody else. And I, I haven't, and I don't intend to, um, but I can make mistakes a hundred percent. I can fail. And, and I think that being in that environment that was so, um, encouraging of taking risks and trying new things really became part of my DNA now. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of, um, I was going to say a lot of trial and error around failure, really. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it is a lot of that. It's that, that trauma, those stories, those beliefs that we carry with us that, um, that failure is, an end, like it's a destination, right? And that when you get there, when you put something out into the world, or um, you attempt to accomplish something, if you don't, then like that, that's the end. Like, it's literally, there's no moving forward from here. I've hit a wall, I failed, I've crashed and burned, literally, right? That's where that saying comes from. Mm -hmm. We're done. And there is no, there is no learning from that other than let's not do that again. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious how you, I, I know you were talking about, again, this kind of scaffolding around it, around failure. So how do you approach it now with that tiny perfectionist um, who doesn't want any part to do with failure? You're a business owner. <laughs> I do. I kind of fail every day, to be honest. Um, so here's here's the thing. And this is why coaching, I think, is um, both um, amazing and difficult for me as a recovering perfectionist, because there is no perfect way to be a coach. Um, right. And so I am embracing that. I've created an environment where it is OK um, to fail 
because I learned that in this environment, um, there is no crashing and burning um, and that it is it is okay. It is right. Uh, right. Is there blood at the end of the day? Nope. Then we get to carry on. It's not an end. It's a continuous. It's a continuous journey. Um, and that is through a lot of work that I've done um, to make that perfectionist, like literally like that big, right? Like two inches high uh, inside and not um, six feet tall like I am. And, and it, it comes along with though understanding that it, your environment really, really impacts how you start to see yourself mm-hmm. and what you do. And so I come from uh, some previous work environments where um, what I did and who I was wasn't separate, right? And so if that thing failed, if that project failed, that whatever failed, then I was a failure, Right? And it takes some unpacking and some some work to kind of separate those two things for sure. But it is environmental, like 100%. We are not born with this need to have a permission to fail. Can you imagine, right, as our kids were learning to walk, that they would look at, at, at us every time they, they fell? Um, sometimes it's startling, but you know, over and over and over and over again, kids continue to teach and learn from failure. Um, It is this idea that we are failures is something that's conditioned in us, right? It comes from our environment. Yeah. Oh, that just hurts my heart because, right? It's like, and I, I understand being in this beautiful, wonderful Montessori environment. And that was where my daughter um, definitely started her schooling and went through the first five years of schooling. Um, so she learned to, to make mistakes. She learned that it wasn't about being perfect. She learned trial and error. And I understand that, that most children in the school systems in North America are, are not taught that. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting because, um, in another book, um, fail fast, uh, fail often, I could put it up here, fail fast, fail often by Ryan Babineau and uh, John Crumboltz. They actually talk a lot about children and reclaiming our curiosity as adults, as we had it um, when we were with children, um, as children, they, um, they do talk about how schooling um, is very often a place where we start to create those, those times in our brain, where we feel like, I'm a failure because I failed at something right, right. versus I just failed. I, I just, I just failed at this. Right. Um, I know as a parent, you, you do want your child to uh, get good grades and to, to perform well. And yeah, when we moved from the States up here this past year, our daughter had a whole new language she had to learn in li- literally learn in it was, you know, half of her day. So her, um, history, her geography, her, and, and history was not us history, right? It was Canadian history, which she knew nothing about. So Canadian history, um, geography, science, um, everything, but math and English and PE, everything that you would learn in sixth grade was taught in French. And so I didn't know what to expect. First of all, she'd never received grades before because in the Montessori school up through sixth grade, you don't receive grades. So she, had never had grades. I, I didn't know what to expect. 
And so I started with a conversation with her from the beginning of, you're just going to take these tests. Again, she didn't have test taking also, right? It was like new language, new format, tests, all of this stuff. I'm like, you're going to have these tests now and you're going to be graded. I don't want those grades to reflect on you on how you feel about yourself. Those are just a point in time as to how well you know information that is being taught to you in the classroom. But that's not the message that we get taught as kids. Right. Whether it's in the schools or at home, we get taught, and unfortunately, many of us are still teaching our children, your grades matter. If you, if you don't do well, what look at what's going to happen to your life. Well, what's going to happen to your life? Right. Well, even, you know, and it's not just at home, at school. It's like bring this now into corporate environments, right? Yeah. When every six months or year you're sat down and given a performance evaluation and it is it is school all over again. Do you pass or fail? Do you get the raise or the promotion or do you go back to your cubicle and lick your wounds? Right. Like mm -hmm. so it is it oftentimes can be delivered in the same way. And, you know, uh, I think that um folks who find themselves in very nurturing environments in these very um, progressive places that um, embrace the learning and the journey rather than the destination. Um, fantastic. Um, I think that gives us an opportunity to see how things are done differently, to start to model and embrace. And actually, it is about having, it's about getting permission from your environment, from your leaders, from your, you know, from your spouse or partner to to say it is okay. Let's just, we're going to, we're going to just keep moving forward. It's not even picking yourself up and dusting yourself off because you haven't even tripped right? Like, let's, let's, let's figure out how to keep moving forward. It's not a destination. But there are many environments that aren't like that at all. And oh, I would say the majority are probably not like right? that. Right? And so, so here we are, Kim, we are very, um, very lucky to have be in a space where we get to create our own environments. Mm -hmm. um, we've also benefited from a lot of coaching. Um, and, and really, uh, diving into that, um, making our um, nausea excitement um, right? or, or shrinking your perfectionist. Um, what are some of the things that you think if folks found, I'm just going to ask for top tip or top thing. Um, if you find yourself in an environment that is uh, very toxic in that way, what are, what is one thing that someone can do to help with this, um, this navigating through this idea of failure? So I think it, it really, it, to me, it starts with curiosity. It does. It's, it, it is a curiosity of yourself is a curiosity of what stories you already have, what pre preconceived stories you have around failure. Um, and then it start and then it's that curiosity of what stories does the other person have? what stories does the organization have, right? What are those um, those uh, historical stories that are being told about how, it, uh, how we are graded in our jobs? Um, just being super curious about it and divorcing yourself of the emotional component that goes along with it, right? I do a lot of thought work 
with uh, my clients. And this is a place where I think thought work comes in really deeply, where we look at what is happening as, is this fact or is this a feeling? And I don't want to say fiction, right? Because it's not a fiction, but we can identify true fact. Um, when somebody is giving you a review, is that a fact? Like, are they factually giving you that information or are you having a feeling about that failure? Right? Right. Right. So did you actually fail? Are there people that have died because of what you did? That's a failure. Not one you can't get past. Right. Right. But I think, yeah, it, it, I would start with that curiosity of, of really understanding your stories, the, the stories that are happening around you, and then be curious about the thoughts that you're having and the feelings that you're having around the idea of failure. What about for you, Luis? Well, it is about, um, I love the, that you use the word divorcing. Um, it is separating the fact from, from the, the uh, if the objective wasn't met, Right. So you call it a failure if you want, but if the objective wasn't met versus you, the person moving that forward to, to the end, right. You're not a failure. If you failed. Um, I like to think of things like grade 10 science um, at the end of the day, I say it every day. It's really a grade 10 science experiment. Um, we all come up with these, um, these, hypothesis, these objectives, these things that we think are going to happen. We set the stage, we get everything that we need, and we start our experiment and we plow through it. And at the end of the day, we get to now stop and say, did my hypothesis fall true? Was my objective met? Yes or no? The experiment is never a failure. It's the, um, what did I learn that I didn't know before? What do I know now that I didn't know before that formed my hypothesis or formed my opinion or formed my objective, right? It's really different when you think about at the end of the day, it's all data, right? It's information that we need um, to make different, um, to make a better hypothesis the next time. Well, and it's so interesting because that ties back, I think, to that original quote that I read. It's just yeah. data because taking the shoulds out of the sentence, right? Look at if it's a failure isn't something terrible and a success isn't something great. It's just data. Yeah, it is just data. And terrible and great are actually terrible words to use. They are. Um, they're so arbitrary um, and full of judgment. Mm -hmm. um, and so looking at things very like factually at the end of the day, um, but separating yourself, right? Like you're the scientist, you're not the experiment. Um, so look at how you be a better scientist. Um, how do you design a different experiment? And you only get to know that by trying what you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, and removing your ego, removing the, the emotional attachment that you have, um, to whatever that outcome is. Because yeah. the outcome is just an outcome. The outcome, the outcome is not a reflection of you. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, right. Um, simple isn't always easy. Um, and so giving yourself a lot of grace and compassion, but continuing to um, separate yourself, continue to set yourself up for, 
for uh, for experiments um, and not just for successful ones. Absolutely. So, you know, it's my favorite time when I get to pull the pie right forward. It's your golden, oh, nugget. golden nugget. Um, I really like the idea you had said, you know, being in an environment where it's safe to fail and knowing that we're not always in an environment where it feels particularly safe to fail. Um, and that's okay. But the recognition around that, right, that's not a great environment to be in. Um, how you start to make changes to get yourself out. But yeah, when you said, you know, yeah, you were in an environment where it was okay um, and that you felt safe. Um, it, that's, it's interesting to me anyways, to, to think about that, that external force um, for sure and how to navigate through that. How about you? Um, it, the data. I, it's so funny because I don't think of things as data points. And I, I love every time you're pointing out, you're like, it's just data. And I'm like, yes, that's the simpler, non-fluffy, non-touchy-feely way to say it. Absolutely. So I, I appreciate and thank you for bringing me back to just kind of that most pragmatic, most simplified way of saying whatever the outcome is, regardless if we're talking professional, personal, um, internal, whatever it is, it, it's it's just an outcome. It's just data. We now just have more information. Um, I'm a data geek. Um, and so it is just data. Like, why do we get so wrapped up in data? Um, but we do. Because um, we have emotional and fluffy feelings. <laughs> um, we would love to know what your golden nuggets are from today as well. Please drop them into the comments or uh, either before or after uh, we sign off for the day. Um, we would love to just hear from you, hear how your week was um, and what you took away from this episode. And the last thing you said, though, Louise, made me think we need to do uh, an episode on or I would really love for us to do an episode on psychological safety um, mm. in the workplace, because I know a lot of people are talking about it, it's something that I studied um, as a crisis management consultant almost 20 years ago. And um, it it's. I, I just think it's worth investigating and talking uh, with our folks about it. So absolutely love it. Um, that's not what we're talking about next week though. No, we're not. Absolutely. We're talking about something kind of, well, it's related. Kind of related. Kindness. Mm -hmm. Kindness. We're going to talk about kindness in the workplace um, and kindness at work. I think that is a, huge. Well, it does kind of fit in when you think about psychological safety, when yes. we think about right, um, uh, permissions and, and, and allowing folks to be um, who they truly are. Kindness is, is vastly underutilized, if not underappreciated. Yeah. Well, and kindness and leadership, not just at work, but kindness and leadership as well and what that can look like. Um, so I am going to put in a caveat here just to let everybody know that for actually the next two Fridays, I'm on vacation. So I am hopefully here for next week's conversation and then two weeks from today. Um, so that would be July 1st. It is a holiday here in Canada. <laughs> Your um, first Canada day. It's my first Canada day. I'm super excited. We're going to be driving. So we will see two, we'll be in two different provinces on that day. So we will see how Canada Day is celebrated in two provinces. 
Um, but so we are actually going to pre-record. We will not have a live episode in two weeks, but it will be aired at this time. Um, but just know that it will be pre-recorded. Um, but we will be live and hopefully it will be both of us. <laughs> talking about kindness at work next week. Um, thank you everybody for being a part of um, our journey in this conversation um, with finding some permission to fail, find some grace and courtesy for yourselves in this process of building your kick-ass career. We appreciate you. I do. I was going to say bye for now. There we go. Bye for now. <laughs> oh, we have a comment. I'm going to before. Oh, thank you. We love you too, Malik. <laughs> <laughs> Bye for now. Bye. Bye.